You're listening to Broadview Church Sermon Audio. For more information or to donate to this ministry, go to broadviewchurch.ca. Thank you, John Yu and team. Thank you for making this such a very special beginning to Times Together Again. And you know, we're going to be talking about an event that far outsurpasses even this regathering. As I was watching the news here a couple weeks ago, there was a gathering outside a mosque in London, Ontario, and people were trying to come to grips with the tragedy of what happened to the family out for a Sunday evening walk. Speaker after speaker were trying to find some words that would comfort those who mourned, would bring sense out of this horrific event, uh, try to provide a kind of assurance that it wouldn't happen again, and perhaps that some way of giving people a hope that that, um, justice would prevail. One imam uh, made a statement that I quickly scribbled down. He said, I bring you a message of hope because this gathering is a turning point. Try to remember that phrase, would you? What he just said. I bring you a message of hope because this gathering is a turning point. Several weeks before I watched that broadcast, God had laid heavily on my heart that today I need to give you a message of hope about the Lord's return. And I just thought, okay, I have a message of hope from the book of books for you today. I trust you're ready because um, um, I'm going to rephrase his statement. I bring you a message of hope because this gathering is just the beginning of the greatest gathering that will ever happen on planet Earth. In the air, actually. Everyone needs encouragement. Our world is facing a pandemic of fear, of violence, of promises made and promises broken, of communication this way one day and change the next, Uh, a world full of uncertainties. And your world is not what it used to be and neither is mine. And if ever we needed encouragement, it's today. Hebrews 10.25 challenges us to encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. To encourage means to inject courage. Have you had your shot of encouragement yet? I hope you're getting one today. I dug a little deeper like the VBS team is going to go uh, this week. I dug a little deeper and I found an amazing nugget of truth out of that verse. Let me read the whole verse to you, Hebrews 10.25. It says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I learned that this verse has something to say that we don't usually think of. 
When I hear this verse, I usually think in terms of, hmm, I really shouldn't skip church so often. But that isn't what it's saying, dear people. I just dug a little deeper and learned that um, um, the day he's talking about is capitalized. And I said to myself, why is it capitalized? What is he referring to? The last word, day, has it got a big D on it? What is he talking about here? The word meeting together is what he's referencing, and that translated means upward assembly. It could be translated upward complete assembly or complete collection. Now we know what he's referring to. The day he's referring to is this upward complete collection, this gathering of everybody who's a follower of Jesus. It's only used, this word, two times in our Bibles, here in Hebrews 10 and in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul is saying that a day is coming when there will be a complete collection of all the believers in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and we are in constant need of reminders of that day. Otherwise, we become discouraged or we might just become flat and say, well, we don't know when it's going to happen anyhow. So to rephrase the quote I asked you to remember, I bring you a message of hope because the upward collective gathering will be a turning point, you can be sure. The rapture marks the end of the church age and the beginning of God's wrath being poured out on the nations in this world. The verse challenges us to inject courage into one another, and especially as we see that day getting closer, that day when Jesus comes to take us home. The good news is Christians have a message of encouragement that provides lasting hope, not just temporary hope. If in this life only we have hope, we're of all men to be pitied or miserable, he says. But we have a lasting hope that will take us way beyond um, what we're experiencing now. We have a message of hope. Believers need hope. The church needs hope. And the greatest news is that we have hope. As believers, we already have a hope that's sure and steadfast, and it's based on the promises that Jesus made to you and me. He promised He would come again. I don't think we think about that enough, but we're going to today. Did you know there were 351 Bible promises, prophecies we tend to call them, related to Jesus' first coming? 351 of them, starting with what happened in Bethlehem and before. 351 promises came true. Do you know how many there are related to His second coming? 700. Is there any reason for us to doubt that He's going to come again? We should be so filled with excitement about His coming. We're going to talk about phase one of His coming, and I'll talk about why. Thessalonica is still on the map, and it is in Greece. It has a population of 300,000. When Paul preached there in Acts 17, the population was about 17,000. Um, Thessalonica was a, an allied base in World War I, 
but Hitler's army conquered the city in World War II and dispersed and exterminated the 60,000 Jews who lived there. But Thessalonica is still alive. From the book of Acts, we understand that Paul's ministry in Thessalonica may only have been about three and a half years to a month long. And during that time, a number of people came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And Paul taught them every chance he could, every opportunity he had. He taught them all he knew about Jesus, including the second coming of Christ. And, but Paul's ministry was cut short with a death threat, and so he had to leave in the middle of the night and leave this infant congregation of baby believers and wondered and wondered and wondered what's going to happen to them. It was years later that Timothy came from Thessalonica to Paul in prison in Rome with a, a good report about the Thessalonians, but some questions that they had as well. They were concerned because Paul had taught them that Jesus was going to come again, but he hadn't come yet, and some of these new believers had died, and the others were wondering, what's going to happen to them when Jesus comes again? Are they going to miss his coming? Are they going to be left behind? And so they asked Timothy to ask Paul to tell him what's going to happen here. And so Paul wrote them two letters of encouragement. He, um, regarding the second coming of Christ, Warren Wearsby, one of my favorite Bible teachers, says that it is not... Paul did not look at the doctrine as a theory to be discussed, but as a truth to be lived. That's what I'd like us to think about when we're thinking about the second coming of Christ. It is a truth to be lived because it will change the way you and I face every day. Just before we read the Scriptures, and you can be looking for 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 if you want, Paul in his two letters to Thessalonica, does a very good job of explaining phase one and phase two of Jesus' return. Phase one is the emphasis in 1 Thessalonians. Phase two is the emphasis in 2 Thessalonians. In phase one, Christ comes in the air for his church. In 2 Thessalonians, he comes to the earth with his church. In 1 Thessalonians, the rapture is a sudden, unexpected mystery that could occur at any time. In 2 Thessalonians, the revelation is very much built around a crisis that God has predicted to intervene. What a difference between the two. Let's read from God's Word, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, inject courage in each other with these words. I'm excited because giving you an injection of hope is what I hope happens today. You know, when we think about Jesus coming, the first question that always comes to our mind is when. <laughs> when is he going to come? Uh, if you know companies coming this, this week, this summer, but you don't know when, it's a little more difficult to prepare, isn't it? Like, um, are they spending the night? Um, are there allergies we need to keep in mind with the menu? Um, when do I turn on the barbecue? How many burgers do I put on? All kinds of questions when we don't know the answer to the when. But too many people over the years have tried setting dates, and I found in one, one site about 75 dates that people have set for the return of Christ, and he didn't come up. He didn't show up when man wanted him to. It's a mystery. The timing is a mystery to us, but not to God. We, there's only one person who knows, and that's the Heavenly Father, and I'll explain more about that later. However, we have some clues, and I'm going to give you a few. I am not a date setter, but I will give you some clues that are very obvious as we just simply look around us. One clue is the rebirth of the nation of Israel in 1945. From A.D. 70, when Rome sacked Jerusalem, for 1875 years, Israel was a scattered nation all over the globe. But in 1945, they were given their, some land back, and they started moving back to the Promised Land. Even on day one, Israel survived an attack by 12 nations when they only had one tank. And they survived because God has brought the nation back together, and He's still calling people from all over the globe back to Israel. Hebrew, the language of the Old Testament, was dead for all those years. Now it's taught in the schools in Israel from 1945 on. Everyone speaks Hebrew. The dead language is resurrected in Israel. Another clue is the fact that our world is moving in the direction of the need for a one-world totalitarian government. As we deal with global concerns, more and more decisions are being made that affect people on every continent of this planet. Another clue is the fact that we are more ready now than ever before to go cashless. When the Bible's prophecy of a one-world ruler comes true, he will take complete control of the financial crisis that our world is in by implementing a cashless society. If you bow to him and worship that one-world ruler, you can buy and sell. And if you don't, you won't buy and sell. The pandemic that is not, that we have been working with, that we've been facing, is nothing compared at all to the, the judgment that's coming on the earth 
when God begins to pour out his wrath against godless nations. One plague will wipe out a third of the world's population. A second one will wipe out another third of the world's population. Dealing with COVID-19, dear people, is nothing but a practice run, getting ready for what's yet to come. The one who turned water into wine will turn water into blood. The one who told those accusers of the woman taken in adultery, he who is without sin cast the first stone, he will cast hailstones three feet in diameter as judgment on this earth. I don't mean to scare you. These are things that are going to happen, but not when we are on this planet. Not if you know Jesus. We have Jesus' written promise. Um, Paul said it this way, according to the Lord's own word. So I thought, I wonder what he's referencing. So I dug through my New Testament, and I found in John chapter 5, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. And in John chapter 11, the song was referenced by, um, several songs referenced this passage. When Jesus was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he said to Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die spiritually. Do you believe this, Martha? And a more familiar passage than ever is John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, where Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you back to be with me so you can be where I am. The when is still outstanding, but God did not leave us completely in the dark. In Luke chapter 17, another quote from Jesus Jesus says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it also be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. And it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking and buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Jesus says, it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Our God, dear people, is a very merciful, merciful God, but he is also a very just and holy God. And so in his mercy, he rescues those who are his before judgment falls. He did it. He got Noah and his family in the ark, and then it started to rain and flood. He got 
Lot and his wife and daughters out of the city, and then the judgment fell. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul states that we are ambassadors for Christ. We are his representatives, and we carry a message of hope. During times of relative peace, an ambassador communicates his or her nation's business on behalf of the homeland. They have the responsibility of negotiating mutually beneficial agreements. But during times of conflict and things get tense and stressful um, and negotiations become more difficult, when negotiations begin to break down and there's the threat, serious threats or even the threat of war, the ambassadors are called home. That happened recently when the U.S. and the Soviet Union both withdrew their ambassadors. I believe the time is coming, dear people, when God looks over what's happening with his ambassadors and he says, nobody's listening anymore. Nobody's paying attention to the message of hope that they're trying to present. And he'll snatch us home before his wrath falls 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says that Jesus rescues us from the coming wrath. And I take comfort in that. That's as much as I'm going to do on the when, except for a little hint later. What will happen according to 1 Thessalonians 4? Our passage states clearly Jesus will bring with him those who have already died. Have you lost someone during this pandemic? Someone who knew the Lord? Jesus is going to bring them. Jesus is going to bring them along, dear people. He's not going to leave them up there by themselves in heaven. He's going to bring them along. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Our passage says that we who are alive and will, will not precede or go before those who have died, it means that the graves will be opened and the bodies of all believers that have passed away from from Pentecost till the rapture, will be reunited with their, their spirits in glory, and they get to come with Jesus. And our passage states then that we who are alive and left will be caught up together with them in, in the air, to, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. Now those words, caught up, caught my attention, done a little bit more digging, to see what it means, and discovered that the word caught up is tra a translation of the Greek, Greek word harpazo, which is the Latin translation, translated in Latin to rapturo, which is where we get the word rapture from, and it's 13 times in our Bibles, places I never dreamed of. Let me give you a snap out of five very quickly. In Acts chapter 8, it means to catch away suddenly as when Philip was snatched away after baptizing that Ethiopian eunuch. The word is he was baptized out of there. I mean, snatched out of there, raptured out of there. And in John chapter 6, verse 15, it means to be, to seize by force. And that's used in the context of where Jesus had just fed the 5,000 plus, and they wanted to seize him by force and make him king. Rapture him. And in John 10, 28, Jesus said, No one can snatch them out of my hand. 
Nobody can rapture them out of my hand. Same word. And then in 2 Corinthians 12.4, it means to move to a new place. It's used here when Paul was caught up to heaven and saw things that he couldn't write home about. Same word. One more. In Acts 23.10, it means to rescue from danger. Paul was in so much trouble with the crowds at that point, the Roman soldiers thought he was, they were going to kill him, and so they snatched him away to a safe place. <laughs> you put all those together, dear people, and, and, and you've got the rapture because it will happen suddenly. Jesus' power is stronger than gravity, and the graves will all be opened. The dead bodies will be resurrected. He'll claim us for himself. He will take us to a place, new place, and he'll remove us from harm. That's our Jesus. That's how much he loves us. Where will he take us? <laughs> to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Note, please, that the meeting's in the air, not on the earth. Remember that we read earlier, Jesus said that he was going to prepare a place for us and he would come again. For our 25th wedding anniversary, 24 years ago this summer, we had the blessing. A couple from the church we were pastoring at the time took us to Israel. The highlight for Glory and I was communion outside the empty tomb. And our Bible teacher at that point explained another nugget that we were not aware of at that time. He said that in Bible times in Galilee, when a young man had learned a trade and found the love of his life and was ready to get married, he would take his father and the local rabbi and they would go to the home of this prospective bride. The bride's father and the groom's father would negotiate the price of the bride. It might be three camels. It might be seven years free labor, as it was for Jacob before he could get what he hoped was Rachel. Or it might be 30 pieces of silver. When the bride price had been established, the rabbi would take the covenant cup, he would pass it to the groom. The groom would drink from it, saying, I will keep my end of the deal. Then he would pass it to the bride. And if the bride sipped from the cup, the covenant cup, she was saying, I commit myself to be your wife, forsaking all others. I take you. Then the groom would pay the bride price. And then he would leave to prepare a place for them to live. And usually that meant to build an addition onto his father's house. And who do you think was the building inspector to say the place was ready? It certainly wasn't the groom. He'd have thrown up a tent like that. It wouldn't be the father of the bride, or he might never get it good enough. No. It's the father of the groom who would say, Son, it's ready. Go get your bride. 
So he would immediately leave, usually at night, and the groom and his party would race into town with trumpets blaring, and, and no bride knew whose turn it was. Every bride in town heard the trumpets, and they all got ready to go and got their attendants ready because they never knew whose turn it was to get married. So the, the groomsmen and the groom come racing into town. They stop at the particular door where this prospective bride is. He would not go in for her. She had to be ready, and she would come out to him with her attendants. And he would take them away to the place that he had prepared for them. They'd consummate the marriage and they'd celebrate the marriage supper for seven days. 2,000 years ago, Jesus took bread and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. His body was the bride price. Then he took the cup and he said, this new covenant in my, this is the cup, cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus Christ, the heavenly groom, paid the price for us, his bride, by giving his life on the cross. He paid the bride price in full. Three days later, he rose from the grave. Forty days later, he ascended to heaven to prepare a place for, for his bride. And as soon as the heavenly Father says, the place is ready, son. Go get her. I'm out of here, people. I'm out of here, and I hope you are too. I hope you are too. The church, the bride of Christ, will be snatched away to heaven to celebrate what the Bible calls the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. How will it happen? Second, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two says, In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. As fast as you and I can clap once, we're out of here. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, our passage this morning, we read, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel, with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. We used to say there's two things for sure and certain, right? Death and taxes. Now you know neither of them are true. Because if the rapture happens... You don't have to die, and you certainly will stop paying taxes immediately. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, No one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven. And Jesus himself said, Nor the Son, but only the Father. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, 
the other will be left behind. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken, the other will be left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Paul finishes this fourth chapter of 1 Thessalonians by stating, Therefore encourage each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. He didn't say it there. Encourage one another with these words. We all have opportunities to encourage other people, whether it's through phone calls, texts, snail mail even, or emails, or FaceTime, prayer, sharing a meal, taking a walk. People need encouragement these days, and you do too, and you've got it to give. Paul was very concerned about the believers in Thessalonica. As we read some more of this chapter, or of this particular letter, he said, when I could stand it no longer, and he said it twice, when I could stand it no longer, I sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. I was concerned that they would be unsettled by these trials and He was concerned that the tempter might have tempted them and rendered their efforts useless. The good report brought back by Timothy encouraged Paul, it says, in all his distress and persecutions. We don't have to create hope, folks. We've got it. We just need to communicate it thoroughly everywhere we go all the time. The Thessalonian believers were heavy on Paul's heart, so he did something about it. He couldn't stand to not know how these people were doing. Dear people, when God the Holy Spirit brings someone's name to your mind or mine, don't shrug it off. Do something about it. We've got lots of ways to communicate with people today. Paul couldn't do it the way we could do it. He had to send somebody on a 550-mile trip, 900 kilometers one way, to Thessalonica from Rome in order to encourage that little group of believers. Can you imagine the joy in the Thessalonican church that morning when Timothy shows up and says, I got a letter from Paul for you. That took precedence over John U's singing even. Everything else had to wait because Paul had a message. Can you imagine how much joy there was for Timothy when Timothy got back and to tell Paul the good news, what was going on there. Dear people, you and I need to Bluetooth our spirit to the Spirit of God so that when he tells us something, we get the message right away, all the time. Constantly stay Bluetooth. Don't disconnect that. That's what Hebrews chapter 10.25 is saying. Encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Steve Bell wrote, As we hope in the Lord, we will gain our strength. We will run for miles. We will stand up straight. We will not grow weary. We will not grow faint. On the wings of an eagle, we will rise. Dear people, are you looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? Are you ready for that day? Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord? You may be a person who loves the gatherings. You love the music. Occasionally even try to do something the preacher says. But do you know Jesus Christ in your heart of hearts? Have you turned 
your life over to him completely, sin and all, saying, I want you to be in charge of me. If you haven't, now would be a good time. Today would be a really good day. In fact, where we take communion here in a few minutes and, and you, you take that piece of bread, you could remember just something you heard recently that the bread represents the, the bride price and you could say, Jesus, I believe you paid the price for me. So I take this all together with altogether different meaning today because I believe you did it for me and I want to be engaged to you. I will take the cup. I will sip from the cup because I believe I am now 100% committed to you as you are to me. That's what it means to partake at the Lord's table. If you haven't done that, do it today. If you know Jesus Christ already, you need to live, I need to live with that anticipation in our hearts. (laughs) I was in the dentist chair here this week And one of the gals helping the dentist is getting married this month, like any day this week, I think. And she couldn't talk about my mouth. She wanted to talk about what was coming. July, I'm getting married. I tried to cheer her, you know, but you can't when your mouth's stuck open. But, you know, people who are getting married want to talk about it. Are you getting married to Jesus? Amen. He's coming to get you. It could be any day, dear people. Live in anticipation of His coming. Pass on the encouragement. Give someone an injection of hope and courage today as the Spirit of God prompts you. Let's pray. This could be a turning point in our lives when we face afresh the expectation of your return. We look forward to your coming again, Jesus. We want you to... um, Don't tarry except for the sake of the lost. In Jesus' name, amen.